0: Join me in prayer. Grant to us, Lord, we pray, the Spirit to think and do always those things that are right, that we who cannot exist without you may by you be enabled to live according to your will through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. We enter into a time of reflection on both the things we have done and left undone that burden us through our days. Please be seated and assume a position of reflective prayer as the choir sings the Kyrie. May we reflect on our lives as creatures of the world, creatures of the earth, and children of God continually struggling struggling to live in presence. Lord, have mercy. Friends, hear the good news. There is more love in God than sin in us. If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God.
1: A lesson from the book of Genesis, chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper as his partner. So out of the ground the Lord God formed every animal of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all cattle and to the birds of the air and to every animal of the field. But the man... There was not found a helper as his partner. So the Lord God caused the deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman. For out of man this one was taken. Therefore a man leaves his father and his mother and clings to his wife, and they become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
2: Please join me in reading responsibly Psalm 8 with the Antiphon. Majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens Out of the mouths of babes and infants you have founded a bulwark because of your foes To silence the enemy and the avenger When I look at your heavens the work of your fingers the moon and the stars that you have established What are human beings that you are mindful of them? mortals that you care for them. Yet you have made them a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. You have given them dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under their feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth.
3: Sing to God, 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 God.
2: Now please rise as you are able for the singing of the Gloria and the reading of the Gospel.
0: The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Matthew, chapter 19, verses 3 through 12. Glory Glory to you, you, O Lord. Some Pharisees came to him, and to test him they asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that the one who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command us to give a certificate of dismissal and to divorce her? He said to them, It was because you were so hard-hearted that Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but at the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for unchastity and marries another commits adultery. His disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, Not everyone can accept this teaching, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others, and there are eunuchs who have been made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let anyone accept this who can. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord.
4: You may be seated. My thanks uh, to Dean Hill for the invitation to return to Marsh Chapel, which is always an honor and joy. And uh, I want to thank the chapel staff for your hospitality uh, and Dean Moore of the School of Theology for her graciousness and time. And I want to thank the Marsh Chapel Choir, uh, as they always do, for making sure that uh, I get what I both want and need every time I hear them sing. After I graduated from Boston University School of Theology 41 years ago and became a local church pastor, if you told me that I would preach at Marsh Chapel during my last year of active ministry and that the topic I would choose to talk about would be marriage, I would not have believed you. Marriage was a routine part of the life of the church and of my work as a pastor, usually more fun than funerals. We did premarital education and counseling with couples, but we drew much more heavily on psychology and the social sciences than we did biblical studies or theology or ethics when we taught and counseled. So I am fairly amazed that I have spent so much time these last several years of my ministry trying to understand marriage biblically, theologically, and even politically. It is in some part your fault, Massachusetts. In 2004, you became the first state in our nation to make same-sex marriage legal, and look what has happened since. Less than 10 years later, marriage equality is now the law in 13 states, the District of Columbia, and five Native American tribes. Lately, the Supreme Court has ruled that the federal government must recognize and honor same-sex marriages conducted in states where they are legal. The latest Gallup poll indicates that 52% of Americans would vote for a federal law that made same-sex marriage legal in all 50 states. It seems increasingly likely that what you began here in Massachusetts will eventually reach every state of the nation and beyond. The argument in the courts and on the public square for marriage equality, put simply, is that marriage is a civil right and that we cannot constitutionally deny any group of people their civil rights. Chief Justice Earl Warren, writing the 1967 uh, Supreme Court decision, Loving versus Virginia, wrote, the freedom to marry has long been recognized as one of the vital personal rights essential to the orderly pursuit of happiness by free men, and presumably by free women as well. Legally, marriage is a civil right, and so marriage equality for adults of all races, nationalities, genders, sexual orientation, and identities is undeniable. Since the principle of equality is rooted in the teachings of all the Abrahamic religions, you might think that the churches, synagogues, mosques, and meetings of America would applaud another advance for justice. This, of course, has not been entirely the case. There have been problems. One problem is the Bible. The Bible simply assumes that marriage is between a man and a woman, or in some cases, between a man and women. As the religious opponents of marriage equality like to say, there is no Adam and Steve in the Bible, and it's true. There isn't. So to understand marriage equality, people of biblical faith need to take a leap of theological deduction and imagination. We need to ask whether the Bible's teachings about marriage are about anatomy and biology and physiology, or whether they are about the quality of relationship between two people who love each other, and want to make the profound commitment to each other that we call marriage. It is a theological leap many find difficult, and it is a leap, frankly, it would never have occurred to us to take except that we have known gay and lesbian couples who have demonstrated in their lives together this quality of love and commitment that is the ideal of marriage. It is because of them that we've needed to go back and read the Bible again and see if we can find room for them too in the story. I've tried to read and consider carefully the arguments of those who oppose marriage equality on the basis of biblical teachings. Most now acknowledge that the battle within the American culture is pretty well settled. They acknowledge the secular culture has changed its mind and now accepts same-sex marriage but they argue the church needs to be countercultural. The church cannot allow the secular culture to redefine biblical teaching. It seems to me this argument is based on the theological assumption that God is not present or at work within the culture, only within the church. The assumption is that the culture is godless while the church holds all godly truth. I find no substantial support for this way of thinking within scripture or Christian tradition and certainly not experience. Jesus says, the wind blows where it chooses. The spirit goes where it will. Biblically, God has always resisted being caged inside temple walls built by human hands. God's very name is I am who I am and I will be who I will be. The Gallup poll I mentioned that indicates that 52% of Americans would vote for a federal law that made same-sex marriage legal in all states had some other interesting data. Among those who said they rarely or never attend church or a house of worship, 67% said they would vote for same-sex marriage. Among those who said they attend church monthly or nearly weekly, 51% said that they would vote for same-sex marriage. Among those who reported that they attend church weekly, only 3% said that they would vote for same-sex marriage, and 73% said they'd vote against it. I hate to say this, but it may be a mistake to spend too much time in church. God is not contained within church walls nor within the covers of a book. God is in the world. God is at work in the culture. And only when we are listening to both the book and the world can we find a path toward understanding God's will and way. Unless our experience in the world helps us always to read the Bible again anew. The Bible will become a book that keeps us trapped in ancient history rather than the story about a God of justice, inclusion, and love who helps us find our way into the future, a future that the people who wrote the book would never have imagined, but which they understand to be consistent with what they began as they watch us from heaven. I serve a church in DuPont Circle in Washington, D.C. On an average Sunday about A fourth to a third of our congregation are openly gay and lesbian men and women. We're part of a denomination that forbids same sex commitment ceremonies or weddings. The rules say these ceremonies shall not be celebrated in our buildings or by our clergy. Back before marriage equality came to the District of Columbia, we started doing what we called services to honor gay and lesbian committed relationships. Couples would come up here to Massachusetts to be married, or they would have private ceremonies in their homes, where they exchange vows. And then we would have a public service in church to honor their commitment. We were very, very careful not to celebrate until we'd left the building. We didn't break the rules. Then in the fall of 2009, friends started telling me that marriage equality was coming to the district. I went to my board and asked if it happens, what do we do? Clergy and congregations in my denomination had been punished in the past for doing same-sex weddings. Pastors had been suspended or even defrocked. The ministries of congregations had been disrupted. We were engaged in a dozen ministries in our community as well as trying to provide quality religious education for our children and youth and all of the ordinary programs congregations do. We were working with others to end homelessness. We were engaged in global mission in Haiti. We were trying to address the ridiculously high incarceration rate of African-American men in our city. We didn't want our ministries disrupted. And we had no desire to break any rules. We started a congregational conversation that lasted for several months. The conversation was a bit chaotic and confusing. We were all over the place in our thinking. No path ahead seemed to be emerging. Then during another disjointed, somewhat frustrating congregational meeting, Doug stood up and walked to the front of the sanctuary. Doug of Sam and Doug. Known by everyone in the congregation, between Doug and Sam they had served in countless committees and task forces and mission groups. They were faithful, generous, always offering their home for meetings. They were loving toward each other, caring toward others, especially the elderly and weak of the congregation. Doug stood before the congregation and simply said, I want to be married in my church by my pastor. I want to be married in my church by my pastor. The tone and direction of our conversation changed. We were no longer talking about theories or strategies or consequences. We were talking about Sam and Doug. In September 2010, Foundry Church members adopted a policy of marriage equality by a vote of three hundred and sixty-seven to eight. We just we just cannot read the Bible as though Sam and Doug do not exist. We cannot be the church as though Sam and Doug were invisible. Marriage equality as the law of the land, as civil law, is good and right. But this struggle will not be over until it is settled in our faith communities. While marriage is a civil legal status, it is more than that. We don't go to our lawyers to marry us. We go, most of us, to our priests, pastors, rabbis, and imams. The latest edition of the textbook, Choices in Relationships, Introduction to Marriage and Family by David Knox and Carolyn Schacht. The latest edition of their textbook says that 80% of marriage ceremonies in America are conducted by clergy. A recent article in the Washington Post by Michelle Borstein says this number may be declining. But still, the clear majority of Americans go to a person they believe to be a man or woman of God to be married there's a deep intuition within us that marriage is more than just a secular legal contract. In the love and intimacy of marriage, and even in the times of distance and disagreement and disappointment, and even in the brokenness that sometimes happens in marriage, in the joys, struggles, victories, and defeats of marriage, we experience something that is like the relationship between humanity and God. I think we know deep down that our marriages are not just legal arrangements, but also holy and sacramental. The creation story of Genesis 2 talks about the purpose of marriage. Genesis 2, 24 and 25 say, Therefore a man leaves his father and his mother and clings to his wife, and they become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. The first purpose of marriage, it seems, is to get you out of your parents' house. (laughs) And then the really holy purposes of marriage are to give you someone to hold on to, to cling to in bad times, and to hug and celebrate with in good times, to hold on to when holding on is very, very hard. And then the purpose, holy purpose of marriage, is to give you someone to become one flesh with as your flesh grows old and a holy holy purpose of marriage is to give you someone to be naked with without shame how could we be how could we be so unimaginative so incapable of translation and deduction so densely literal that we would deny such a holy marriage to Sam and Doug. If we don't do it, the rocks in the walls of our buildings will start putting on robes and stoles and doing the weddings themselves. Jesus said it. Those whom God has joined together, let no one separate.
5: apostle Paul noted we should devote ourselves to prayer being watchful and thankful so let us come personally and collectively to prayer standing sitting kneeling or however the spirit moves you the call to prayer is hymn 473 lead me Lord Holy God, to you who satisfy the thirsty and fill the hungry, we give thanks and praise for your unfailing love and abundant grace. We thank you for all that you have done and all that you have yet to do, for your blessings are as countless as the stars in the heavens. We are grateful for the freedom to worship you publicly. We are also thankful for the technology that enables us to worship together with our virtual congregation separated by time as well as space. As we thank you, we are mindful of those who are prevented from worshiping you freely. Have mercy on them, dear Lord. Grant them the peace of your presence in their silent worship. We confess that we have sinned, merciful Father. Forgive our sins and help us to have a forgiving heart to forgive those who have sinned against us and help us grow as Christians. We admit that there are times when we have more faith in the rituals of religious life than in you, the living God. We attend church either physically or virtually. We pray our prayers, we give our offerings, we do good deeds for others. Sometimes we pay more attention to outward expressions than to inward faith. We open our hearts to you, Holy Spirit, and we ask that you help us to grow in faith so that we will worship you with sincere faith and devotion. Comfort the sick and those with broken lives and broken hearts. We pray for the homeless, the unemployed, and the underemployed. Heal our hearts, heal our minds, heal our bodies. Take the worry from all our minds, merciful Father. When we fear what lies ahead, help us to remember that you are our companion through the difficult times and that you have promised us great blessings. Help us to keep our mind focused on you, to wait for you, Lord, for you alone are our help and shield. As a faithful people, we bring our concerns to you, sure and certain that you will hear our prayers, you will answer our prayers, and that your promises will be fulfilled. We pray these things in the name of the Son of Man, who will come at an unexpected hour. Amen. And now as a community of faith, we join voices to pray as our Lord taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation
0: Peace be with you. We would like to take this time to welcome you again to Marsh Chapel, a sanctuary amongst a city, a place of peace in times of chaos and stress. We hope that you find a home here and that you feel wherever you are along your spiritual journey, that this is a place for you to continue to explore. We would love to get to know you better and to help you get to know one another better. And a great way of doing that is just by adding your name and contact information into the little red leather envelope things on the middle of the aisle in your pew. Please fill those out if you would like us to reach out to you or if you'd like to get to know the congregation better. Also, I would like to make you aware that there's an opportunity for online giving if you're feeling so led by generosity. You can visit bu.edu slash chapel to find the link. You're always welcome here, and we would love to update you on events and announcements for this week. Directly following this service will be refreshments downstairs, a great time for fellowship and coffee, which is very important. You're all welcome. Please come and join us. Next Sunday, we will be wrapping up our summer preaching series of the Pulpits of Northern Methodism, with another opportunity to hear Reverend Dean Snyder. So we hope to see you all then again next Sunday. As we beckon our ushers forward, let us be reminded that it is a gift to be a giver. We have an opportunity now to practice the ancient sacred discipline of Christian generosity. As the choir lifts up our song, there is an old belief. May you find yourself being as generous as you are able.
5: Our bounty and our need, we hold our lives as offerings of your presence in the
4: world. May these tangible gifts we bring today join our daily actions to bring your love, your healing acceptance, and your compassionate and passionate justice to every relationship, every encounter. Thank you. We don't study this book because it contains God. We study this book to find hints so that we might recognize God when God meets us in the path of our ordinary days. We don't come to church because this is where God lives and we want to pay a visit. We come here to think about where God might have met us in our lives last week and to prepare for God to meet us this this week in our workplaces and classrooms, in the bowling alleys, the bars, and the ballpark. We can't know God just through this book in this place. We can only know God when we live fully with one another, when we listen deeply to one another, when we love one another in our lives, in the world. Go in peace. Find God this week. God, our creator and savior, God the spirit waits for us to meet God. Amen.